Coming from the Caveman Studios in Buffalo, New York. Welcome to Caveman Corner with your host, Jeff. Captain Caveman! Thanks. Click subscribe and the bell. Do it now! Hey everybody, welcome to Caveman's Corner. I'm here with Mong Fu. I had two awesome podcasts in a row. Last podcast with Mark Schultz, UFC fighter, Olympic gold medalist. One of my heroes growing up. And now this is a man that I have been watching on social media all the time, Mong Fu, that uh, I've watched him since TNT. He fought one of my teammates. His guy fought one of my teammates. Beat my team man, unfortunately, which is never a good thing for us. But I was super impressed by him. I, I dubbed him uh, Mr. Miyagi back in the day when I was writing for TNT, <laughs> which is like uh, 10 years ago, 11 years ago now. I don't even remember when that fight took place. But uh, at that time, he came into my attention. I was like, man, this guy's an awesome coach. Uh, I, I got to find out more about his school, and I've been following you ever since then, dude. And like, can you just give me a little background on like how you got in, in this state, and like how you got into wherever, whatever area that uh, uh, you're in right now? Sure. Um, at uh, 19 years old, 21 years old, I moved to Toronto to pursue my career in the fashion industry, and I was this little skinny Asian guy, you know, 115 pounds, 21 years old, and uh, I was broke. I had $200 in my pocket. And I saw in the back of a classified, you know, local newspaper about Muay Thai. Uh, and I wanted to feel confident and stuff. And it was like a 30-minute bus ride. So with $200, <laughs> I spent $100 on a gym, on a Muay Thai membership. And my brother told me Muay Thai was the best. And Shinkai Karate, Knockdown Karate was the best. And I just happened to move from Vancouver to Toronto. And that's how I started my martial art journey. At 21, I started doing Muay Thai. Uh, 27, started doing Judo. And then a, a couple of years later, I started doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And then at 34, I met my wife online. I was dating her for a couple of years. I got laid off from uh, one of my design jobs. I was managing six graphic designers, got laid off. And uh, I moved up here. I didn't realize how bad, uh, you know, I didn't realize there's no fashion industry, no design industry. I moved up here. And that was 20 years ago. And I moved into this little town with population less than 2,300 people. And when I moved up here, there was no MMA gym, no BJJ gym, no Muay Thai gym. People didn't even know what I was talking about. This is before the Ultimate Fighter, like season one. And so a lot of people, a lot of misconception. And I was very lucky. I, I trained in Toronto, so I had access to all these elite training. And I wanted to continue training. And I checked out a couple of MMA gym, but they were an hour drive. And they did, people didn't really know me. And so there was like, you know, resistance there and stuff. And I didn't felt at home. And by the time I moved here, I already had 10 years of martial art training. And um, I was teaching out of a Taekwondo school. And then six months later, I was teaching out of a fitness facility. And then three months later, one of my students told me, just open up a gym and we'll support you. So with $600, um, I had rent, I have enough rent money for two months. And I'll put my gym, rent was only $250 a month. It was seven minutes from my house. And I've been teaching and coaching since. So I've been up here for 20 years. And that's how I fell into coaching and teaching MMA because I was selfish. I wanted to continue with my MMA training. <laughs> that's pretty funny. And you're in like such a small area. I know you uh, you don't have a lot of students, and uh, a lot of people judge a school by um, the the amount of students they have. But that's like a, a business decision, really. You know, like there's you have a limited draw of people. I've watched your fighters, and your fighters are awesome. They're mentally strong. They're always prepared. You're, they're very well coached. You can see they have high fight IQ. And that's something yeah. that comes from great coaching. 
And I don't think you always need a great gym, uh, like a big giant mega fight gym to, uh, to produce very high level amateur and mid-level pro athletes. I think you don't need that really good pro level till you need to work out with those guys that, that everything's moving at the same speed. Yeah, I mean, it, it helps. Um, one of my biggest, biggest difficulty is finding sparring partners for either Evander or Darnell or whoever I'm training to fight. And uh, the way I coach is very specific, uh, maybe because I'm Asian. I, I, um, every training, there's a specific outcome. Uh, I don't let my fighters randomly spar. Um, I think it's a waste of time. Um, I, I believe in the law of diminishing return. 20% of what you do affects 80% of your outcome. And that was a huge difficulty for me, just finding good quality sparring partner. And all I need is one person to work with my fighter. That's it. I don't need four. I don't need five. I don't need 10, right? And you know, when Evander fought Sean Felton, when Darnell fought all these people, my gym was constantly going against gyms with like 30, 40, 50, 100 students. You know what I mean? And you see my gym, like six guys, that's it. You yeah. know what I mean? And I'm, I, I constantly have anxiety. I constantly have to sit and watch and figure out how to train my fighters. Like uh, one of the things I do is I edit videos of uh, my, my fighter's opponent and I would edit it and just create highlight videos. And because I'm forced to edit the video, I notice every little details. And then from there, I create a, a game plan to train uh, for my fighters. And I think, I don't know if other coaches do that, but the fact that I know how to edit, um, edit videos allow me to have that insight rather than just watching a video over and over again. So, so I've, um... I have some of the similar problems with you. I have a, I have a small gym. I think I have like 40, 42 full-time members and then like 10 more that drop in and out. Um, okay. I'm in a, like, I'm in a pretty populated area. So there's a lot of gyms around me too. You know what I mean? So I try and watch all my fighters uh, sparring too. I don't like to have them spar like outside. I think, uh, I think you should spar uh, like two times a week, one time for intensity, one time for really good focus, like timing and not, not take any damage, just getting better. And then sometimes you need to train a little bit harder because I have guys that haven't fought a lot. So I need, you know, that, that combat simulation a little bit too. They're not veterans yet. Yeah. <laughs> and I was going to say, so when, when I break down tape, I, I watch the fights over and over again. And then I yeah. I decide what we're going to do in practice by what I notice in their, their opponents. And I don't, like, I don't really give my, I don't edit the videos or anything to give them the, that. I just give them what I think they should be doing. Do you think the videos yeah, work yeah. better? Well, so I like to edit videos because then let's just say it's a nine minute fight. I don't want my fighter to scrub back and forth on YouTube and stuff. It's a waste of time. So I cut out all the, you know, all the stuff that's like, they're just standing around or dancing. And then I, 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 I edit the part that I want my fighters to watch. Right. And because let's just say you edit a two minute video, it actually takes like 30 minutes to an hour to edit a two minute highlight video. So me as a coach, I'm forced to watch that video for like an hour. Right. So I'm seeing details that other coaches are not seeing, like not just technique, but temperament, anxiety level, the way their uh, eyes lose focus, the way they dip their head, the way the skeletal or spinal structure collapse or elongate. These are telltale signs of how a fighter reacts during anxiety or during the fight. You know what I mean? So I think these are things I think a lot of coaches don't understand yet. You know, I think in the future they will, but the fact that I, takes me an hour to edit a two minute video, I'm forced to watch all these little subtle details versus other coach who just pop it in, everyone gathers around the flat screen TV and watch the video, you know, you know what I mean? Who knows, maybe other coaches are doing what I'm doing, you know what I mean? So. I, I don't think, uh, so 
even having like three or four fighters fighting at the same time, that's a lot of dedication to to put into it. Like these big gyms, they got like uh, like Doug and Wyatt, for example, had eight guys in a car last time. Can you imagine a coach chopping oh, yeah. up eight videos? Like there's 16 videos for eight guys, you know, like I think uh, coming from a small gym has huge advantages like that because you do get that individualized coaching. Yes, yes. It also helps that I'm a designer, you know, I mean, this is my passion and that's why I'm pivoting, you know, I mean, I worked as an art director, I went to, um, I actually went to fashion school and then I got a three-year scholarship to go to art school and then I did a one-year new media training. So it's kind of like, you know, it's like, it's part of my repertoire, you know what I mean? So for me, it was, it's not a huge extension of my skill, it's not a huge extension of my temperament. Other coaches may hate it, you know what I mean? They're like, you know, you're like if you look at all the things I do, I, I design, you know, I'm trying to constantly engage my mind. And so for me, editing a video and creating highlight videos, it's just part of being an MMA coach for me, you know, you, you, you get what I'm saying? So for yeah. me, it's not that difficult, but I totally understand if there's six fighters, but I probably would spend that same amount of time breaking down videos for six fighters or a hundred fighters. I probably would do that. You know what I mean? That's yeah. how crazy I am, you know? So. <laughs> I was going to say that it takes a special kind of person to have the dedication and coaching you have when you have so much angst about your gym. I see you struggling. I, I see that you're, uh, I don't know if you're shutting, are you shutting Fusion down for good or just yeah, like? Um, um, so I have to shut it down. My anxiety level is so high. Uh, rent is 550, which is very low in a small town. And then utilities, uh, it's like around 250. I, I keep, I don't turn the heat or anything on unless I teach a class. And um, it's it, like, it's my baby, but I had to do it because my anxiety is level so high. I, I don't have $800 a month anymore. And I, I'm basically broke so bad. And uh, my goal is to try to sell as much equipment as I can and whatever I keep, I might store in a storage unit. During COVID, I um, I had access to, to buy 10,000 books for like next to nothing. Um, my goal was to run an MMA gym in the evening and then sell books and toys and records in the day and also work as a designer, right? And I finally achieved that dream. And I did it for about a year and a half and then COVID came along and then I had to shut down my gym. But then I had access to all these books that I got for cheap. And then, you know, I kind of screwed up there. And um, when COVID came back, like, you know, we, we we opened, but I just had maybe two, three students come back. And every month I was putting out two, $300 out of my own pocket, but now I'm putting out like $800 a month and I just can't do it anymore. You know, I'm going to be 52 uh, in a couple of months and I feel like so like deflated and I'm, I'm going to redo it again. I might like, this is something I learned. It, it depends on when you came into the scene, right? So UFC fighters who started in the 1990s versus the 2000 versus now, they all have different career paths. So I jumped into MMA back in 1995, right? And so my mind is constantly trying to figure out how the sport works. And I never approached it as a business person. So if I was to redo it again, I would shove the whole figure out how MMA works and figure out the business side, which I've been doing. I just didn't have the resources. And I feel I'm at the point now where I completely understand the sport of MMA. I don't have to... I mean, I still devote time to it, but I'm not going to be consumed by it. I'm going to be consumed by running a successful business. And that's something I didn't do until the last three, four years. But then COVID came along and gave a hiccup. And because, you know, like, let's just say you're an animal that's about to not fully grown yet, and you fight against a predator who's bigger than you, you die. Maybe a couple of years later, 
my gym would have survived, you know what I mean? And the timing was just so bad, you know? And yeah, it's unfortunate I have to shut it down. I just don't have enough students to keep it going. And I can't afford to lose $800 a month. You know what I mean? I, I work 18 hours a day. I, I, I work full time and then I come to the gym. I, I train my fighters and it was just like, People don't understand the struggle, you know what I mean? Like it's it's brutal. So I, I I feel you. So I work full time. I work 50 hours a week at my regular job. And I run a gym and I'm there six days a week. Uh, I have no yeah. scheduled days off, and I've been doing that for like two years straight. So I emphasize with almost all the things that you're saying. I watch it and I'm like, man, these are the same struggles I'm going through. I'm at a yeah. little bit better place. Um yeah. because I, I I came from a big gym and I saw how the business I worked before I, I jumped into it. So I had the, the business side set up. So I'm like, I'm not losing money every month. Like uh, for I got hurt and during that time I lost some students and I was breaking even. And during COVID I was shut down, but I I split rent at that time. So I didn't get burned too bad by COVID. Um, yeah. But we were closed for a long time and paid rent. For anyone that doesn't understand like how yeah. bad it, it stinks to pay for a gym you can't use. And then when you come back, not only do you have to make that money up, you're you're teaching your students for free because you yeah. haven't made that money up yet. And then, you know, your yeah. students are like, hey, why don't we have this? Why don't we have that? Why don't we have this? We should do this. And we're like, man, yeah, I know we should do all that stuff. But uh, it, it takes some financial resources to do that. Yeah. You know, I'm going to jump in really quick. Uh, one of my favorite movies that was directed by a big Hollywood director was uh, Red Belt, you know, uh, David Mammoth. You know what I mean? And uh, that movie, when I watched it, it, it spoke to me, you know what I mean? The guy was trying to figure out fighting and stuff and he was just struggling. Like, like he would pay like one bill a month, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> and let the link, let the creditor chase him down. And that's what I was doing. And when I watched that movie, I'm like, hey, shit, this is me, you know what I mean? And I have a, uh, you know, my gym is in the middle of nowhere and I'm training this guy to fight and it's very philosophical, you know what I mean? And my guy's fighting against big gym. And if, uh, for any viewers out there, if you haven't watched that movie, watch it. It's a big budget hollywood movie that's not cheesy so <laughs> are you familiar with that movie red belt i did see it yeah i, I saw it i uh yeah i was like man there's a good movie but like it, it's too too hits too, too close to home sometimes on that stuff i'm like man yeah. I, I i don't need to come here to watch my life i should just go uh <laughs> i should go train or something you know like it's tough yeah so that man it makes me sad that you're closing your gym. Are you still going to be able to like do privacy with your students? Do you have uh, like a space or something you can do that? So, in? so um, I'm I'm very good friend with the boxing coach. He's the guy who referred me to Darnell. Um, Darnell, uh, mom is very close friend with the boxing coach, and um, they were looking for an MMA uh, MMA coach. And the boxing coach goes, "I trust this guy. His name is Mom. Go go talk to him." And the boxing coach called me and convinced me to train Darnell and if I was to train Darnell or anybody else, I might teach out of that boxing gym. It's unfortunately 30 minutes from my house. What I'm looking for, ironically, is established MMA gym who's willing to pay for like my gas, maybe lunch money, and have me maybe teach something that they're missing or some insight that they think I have that they want to see. And then I like to shoot YouTube videos, and out of it is like, you know, it's like those YouTubers where they go around and spar, but I want to like just go and kind of teach a class or learn a class or get to know instructors, you, you know what I mean? And so that's what I want to do now. I want to kind of like maybe spread my knowledge, share my knowledge, learn from established guys. 
Uh, there's a really amazing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu coach. I got to train with him once. He's uh, in Buffalo. His name is, uh, I think his first name is Jose Babino. He, he, he teaches out of fight, fight sports. Oh, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and um, I only got to, I did a I did a one private lesson with him for like an hour and a half. Great guy, and I got a great rapport with him. And so I'm looking for more relationship like that, where I you know I drive I drive two hours. I I, I do like I might give a seminar or something or a clinic. I might work with your fighters. Like there are gyms out there where I see they, they they're they're missing in certain things. You know what I mean? Like technique is not the problem. There's so much technique, but there's certain insights that they don't have yet. And you only could get those through years of grinding it out and, and developing that sensibility. And I get invited all the time by a couple of people I know. And I want to do stuff like that where I go, I, you know, it's, if it's okay with them. I shoot videos and edit it down. So I make a little money off the trip, off the teaching, you know, maybe a couple hundred dollars. But then I want to make money off the YouTube videos and stuff. You know what I mean? And that's, that's ideally what I want to do. I, I just can't. Or I open up a gym in a more affluent area, maybe a population of like 25 to 30,000. Because right now I'm in a town with 2,300. Like you can't run a gym with, you know, with 2,000 people. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. you can't. You know? Even so, if you get like 10% uh, of the population, it's, it's not enough to have a big gym. If you have a facility yeah. that can house, house that many people. Yeah, that, I mean, my, my, my facility is large. It's a former grocery store, but no business survive here. We don't have a pastry shop. We don't have a restaurant. We have a gas station. The thing is, one thing that I learned, I, I, I design website, and so I got to design a, a couple websites for huge fashion, um, uh, fitness uh, franchise. And one guy taught me one thing that I wish I knew. It's called churn. And that is like when students quit or members quit, you got to have replacement members. And so with small town, you don't have that churn, you know what I mean? And that's something you got to factor in. And I didn't realize that, you know what I mean? So now if I was to reopen, I need to open in a, in a town or city that I can churn. So let's just say 50 students drop out. I need to replace it with 50 new students next year. And in a small town, you can't do that. You know what I mean? They're just, the, the pool is too small. So. Yeah, ideally yeah. you want your churn rate plus two, you know? Yeah, well, uh, rate like, I, yeah I've talked about that too. So you, you want your churn rate to, you want to be able to have more access to more people than than you're losing so you, you end up growing otherwise you have no growth and your business dies eventually anyways perfect turn rate plus two i like that so is it plus two or plus a percentage point it's like plus two percent like plus two percent okay. you always want to be growing because okay, if you you know if you're not growing at all you, you really it should be whatever inflation is and you know they count inflation as two percent but it's more than that yeah. now so you need to have yeah, your yeah. turn rate whatever inflation is to uh you know stay afloat and then so to make just, profit yeah. So I just learned something now. So it's turn plus a percentage of inflation, or maybe I want more than that. You know, I mean, so percentage yeah. of inflation plus another two percent. Yeah, so, that, and, awesome. and that that's how you make money. You know, so like yeah. you need to have all that. And if you're not in a big area, then it, it's just tough to do that. Like you're saying, especially when you're rural too. Yep, yep. I'm I'm right in the middle of nowhere. Um, <laughs> ironically, uh, Darnell was ranked number one in New York State. No one knew about him. The locals still don't know what we do. I sent out tons of press release. Not one local newspaper wrote about Darnell. It's crazy, you know, Evander, same thing. At one time he was ranked number two or number three in New York state. No one wrote anything about him. Um, a lot of the locals don't even know what I do. You know I mean? They, they, they think I'm like a karate school, you know, or some kid will come up to me yeah. and make Kung Fu sound and think I teach Kung Fu. You know what I mean? It's just a lot of like, they, they just kind of like, I wouldn't say ignorant, but they just, they don't understand that how often 
is there a martial art instructor who's legit who happens to move into town teach MMA? Like, you know what I mean? So uh, it's you're, just weird. You're Asian too, dude. Like, I call you Mr. Miyagi when I saw you at first, dude. I could see, like, how smart you were, dude. And, like, you're... Like your relationship with Evander at the time when I watched you guys interact wasn't just like teacher student. It was like a like mentors mentor student. You know what I mean? It was more like uh more like you're more than just you know his paid teacher. You're you're someone that's close to him. And I try to I, I try to make my gym like that too. You know, I want to be close with my fighters and I wanna like teach them and help them grow too. And like I'm still growing myself, you know. So I'm I'm trying to absorb your wisdom and like that's all we can do is keep growing. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that because a lot of people don't. Um, so I kind of have my own martial arts style. You know, I mean, I have five black belts, but I think one my personality is I'm always like trying to figure things out. And so I um, Evander is the only students I've given a black belt in my own fighting system. Right. And I felt I feel like after 20 years of doing something, having five black belts, I think I'm more than qualified to give my own style of black belt. You know what I mean? So Evander Russ is my only students I've given a black belt to uh, so far. Um, I, I think I have a couple of blue belts who in my system of fighting. But uh, yeah, I, I appreciate you acknowledging that. And I feel like I made a huge impact on Evander's life because he came and met me when he was 19. Uh, his aunt had a daughter. His, uh, actually, his, uh, Evander's cousin is actually ranked like top five or top three in New York State in boxing. Her name is Selena. And uh, her, her, Evander's aunt told Evander about me. And then Evander happened to do a judo class, judo course at the college that I was teaching at. So the timing was just perfect. You know, Evander was, you know, impressible. I mean, he was like 18 when he met me. And I got to train him for almost nine years. So it was just the perfect time. And I'm very grateful for that experience because I grew a lot from that. You know what I mean? Like I had all these insight, but I had to see it. I had to figure out if it works or not. You know what I mean? Uh, the human mind will play tricks with you, you know, you until you until you can visualize it and, and put it into practice. You can't or until you can articulate it. You don't know if it works or not. And I was very lucky. I had a student who believed in me and allowed me to mold him and train him. You know, what I mean, and thank you for appreciating that, you know, because a lot of people put us down. A lot of people didn't believe in us. And um, I think we shocked a lot of people when Evander fought, you know, you know what I mean? And uh, the way Evander fought, uh, it was very technical, very nice. And people were shocked that he came from a gym. I, I mean, when he fought against Sean, we literally had three sparring partners for him. Uh, when he fought against um, Brian Baring, it was a nine-year-old and a 16-year-old Chinese girl and myself. That was the sparring partner that we had. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, I'm serious. Like, you know, we, so yeah. That's tough, man. Holy cow. And then, like, it moves on, and then you got Darnell, and he's number one. He's awesome, too. You have Paige. He was really good. And, like, yeah. every one of your fighters that fights for you, you don't have a bad fighter. They're all great. They all come high IQ, and that's that's coaching. And, that, like, I've, I've always watched your students, and, like, I'm, I've never been disappointed in any, any one of your students. Like, I'm, I've been a student of the game. I, you know, I'm at every FCP. I'm at, like, I, I host the TNT fights. I hosted the uh, K4 fights, like. I, I try and make it out to Gladius. Now, hopefully they come back. Hopefully they find a new venue. That kind of sucks about Gladius too. Yeah, what happened to Gladius? I mean, uh, Paige fought. Um, was it was it Whitehall? Not Whitehall. Um, what that's place is it the venue shut down or what's what's going on? Yeah, the the venue shut down, so they lost access to the venue. I don't know if the venue itself shut down or the venue kicked them out. I'm not sure exactly how it works because it looks like a church or something. So. Oh, okay. Anyways, they lost the venue. They lost the venue date, so they they lost that show. So that I, that sucks, you know. Anytime yeah, you put yeah. so much money into something. 
Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, Evander holds a Gladius welterweight belt, 170. And that night when he fought, it was crazy. He fought against uh, someone from Team Bomb Squad, you know. And when Evander won that night, the crowd went silent. Evander was the main event. <laughs> and so it's, yeah, I mean, my, you know, it's my local fighter, Evander and Darnell. We hold a couple really good belts against Bigger Jim, you know. So I'm very proud of all the things I've accomplished. And, all the students who allowed me to coach them, you know, I'm a nobody, you know what I mean? I, my, my, I don't have a big fighting record. You know what I mean? I came into the sport kind of at like a weird age, you know, 21, 27, I'm blind in one eye. I'm nearsighted. I'm not very physical. And I'm very lucky that I had a chance to do this and I'm still going to do it. It's just, I can't afford the $800 a month. The anxiety level is so high, you know what I mean? So for sure. I run a yeah. gym, and uh, if you ever come to Buffalo, I would definitely bring you for a seminar too. Um, you can come train here, come train at Fight Sport. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of decent gyms in Buffalo. I'm actually yeah. up in uh, Niagara Falls, but like I'm really close to Buffalo too. Yep. So I'd love to bring you in too sometime. Maybe we can uh, work something out. Um, bringing in uh, Dan Don Hugh uh, next week from Buma, like a really high level, a uh, competitive black belt in jiu-jitsu. and like I want to try and bring people in for my students too because you know obviously one teacher. It's good, but you always want to expose them to as many people as you can. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I, um, I, I think one thing, so I'm kind of weird. I, I straddle both martial art world. Like I, I straddle the traditional martial art world. And then I straddle like the MMA community. And I see, I wouldn't say flaws, but shortcoming of both. You know what I mean? And um, I think, I think there's just, I wouldn't say too much rivalry, but I feel like, there's not enough openness, you, you, you know what I mean? Like like in learning from each other and stuff like that. Um, with, with the MMA community, I miss, I miss the tradition, the respect, the bowing. And with the traditional martial art, they, they, they're too afraid to innovate and, and they, they poo-poo combat sport too much, you know what I mean? And I feel like I'm very lucky. I straddle both worlds, you know what I mean? Um, so, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to find more people where I connect with, you know what I mean? And so the way I run my MMA gym is like that, you know, like I tell my fighters, I can train a dog to fight in six months. I can train a military police officer or soldier to fight in six months, but that's not my goal. That's not my legacy. My legacy is to create martial artists. You know, when I die or 20 years from now, my fighter's not gonna remember a technique. My fighter's gonna remember the impact I have on them or a weird lesson or something funny I said, <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's what I want to do and it's unfortunate you know what i mean that i have to shut down uh, i mean i'm not shut down yet because it's, it's gonna take me time because i work full time and stuff but you know it's my baby you know yeah so, so uh, my gym integrity uh, i always said i want my gym to be like a traditional mar martial arts school that works you know like that we actually like what we do is not bullshit and you know not all traditional martial arts are bullshit i totally respect a lot of stuff they do but and uh, if you're not willing to open up and, and test yourself, it, it's not, it doesn't work either. But like the MMA stuff is just too wild sometimes, man. Like people are crazy. So like I try and make sure that all my, my fighters are as respectful, you know, sometimes it's tough yeah. to handle fighters too, you know, and uh, I'm running into my bump heads with that sometimes too. Like it, it's very difficult to run a gym properly when you think about it, you know, there's so many personality types. Yeah, I, I think, I think what happened is, you know, I think you've been doing as long as me. And after a while, we can kind of like figure people out, you know what I mean? And um, I think as you get more mature and more confident of your ability and who you are, 
you realize there are certain students you don't accept or you accept, but you kind of want them to prove themselves. You know what I mean? And I always tell my students, you may not like the way I coach because I'm very cerebral. I'm Asian dad. You know what I mean? I break things down and I keep on, I don't know, you probably see some of my video. I will say again, 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 until I see certain things and then I move on, right? And I'm not this like hardcore gym where we spar all the time and hit the bags all the time. It's very cerebral. And that's why you kind of notice my fighters have high fight IQ. And other fighters are not very cerebral and they want that hard sparring, that hard training all the time. And I tell them, well, I can't do that. You know what I mean? You can do that on your own time or whatever. And so I think, I think um, as you get older or as you've been doing it longer, you kind of, like, I think you and me, like our dojo is our sacred place. Like it's our baby, you know what I mean? And, and we don't want, we don't allow anyone to disrupt that. You know what I mean? And money cannot buy that, you know? And, I think that's where I'm at in my life now. You know what I mean? I feel like I have the right to do that. I devoted 30 years of my life doing martial art, 20 years teaching. So I feel like I can be a little bit selfish. <laughs> so I, I agree with that. So this is where I struggle as an owner because business-wise, that's not the best business strategy because that means you're turning away students. Um, yeah. You know, and especially students that can uh, go out and, and get things for you too. You know what I mean? Put your name out there. And yeah. uh, like, I've never, you know, you wouldn't see a guy from Fusion like yelling at the referee and throwing his mouthpiece out in the crowd. Like, you know, you guys are, you know, respectful, yeah. like Buma, you know, like when you watch the Buma fighters, every one of them is pretty respectful. You know, you won't see them yelling at the co coach or yelling at the ref, you know, they might, you know, yeah. they might talk junk to their opponent, but they don't, yeah. you know, they're very respectful to everybody else. And yeah. uh, like that's catering to a certain crowd. So that means you're excluding a certain crowd when you're running a business. So that's going to lower your turn factor too. So like, this is all stuff that, you know, like it's, where are you a business and where are you with uh, being a coach? You know, that's, that's a struggle being a successful gym owner as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of agree with you on that. And, but at the same time, it's like branding, like, you know, Apple product is priced at a premium because they want to bring in certain clientele. You know I mean? There's a, there's kind of like a branding process. You know what I mean? You can't, if, I think the biggest mistake, if you try to cater to everybody, you cater to no one, you know what I mean? And and so for me, I feel like if I was to do it all over again, my gym would be super successful. You know, it's just years of grinding it out, figuring it out. I just lack the resources and I focus all my time and trying to figure out how to fight, uh, like fight, like the fight game, you know what I mean? And I did my homework. Now it's like the Phoenix rising out of the ashes, you know what I mean? And uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not diminish diminishing what you're saying. I, I feel like it's very important to hold true and be authentic to you, who you are. You know what I mean? Like, like no one brags about how good McDonald's is. People only brag, uh, people, we go to McDonald's because it's convenient or we're the rush, you know what I mean? And I don't want to be the McDonald's of martial art. You know what I mean? Um, I, the other thing I think is for me, I'm going to parlay everything I have done through martial art. You know what I mean? Like I study Miyamoto Masashi, I study Zen, I study all these things. I got to see fighters up close. I got to see fighters who are like very brass. I, I got to see all these things and I want to like somehow parlay that and, you know, write a book, shoot, you know, shoot videos, vlogs, and maybe create a movie. There's all these things you can do, you know what I mean? Like for us, you and me, we're very lucky. We get to deal with people on an emotional level, physical level, on a neural psychological level. You know, like when people are confronted with death, ego and pain, that's when their true identity comes out. And we get to see that every day. And, after, and if you actually study that, you become so good at studying people. 
<laughs> like, you, you know what I mean? And I feel um, like I, I done it. You know, I'm very lucky. <laughs> like, even if I don't make no money, I, I have all these skill set that people, I go for all these job interviews and people don't appreciate it. And I feel like, man, if you just hire me, you will get such a good worker, you know? So I, I hear that. And, uh, like I, I admire that, and I also feel like, man, that's not going to make me any money. <laughs> so I'm always at the I'm always at the crossroads, dog. Like uh, I appreciate what you do, man, and like your high standards, like really set you apart. And then if you're going to have high standards like that, then you need to cater to like higher higher affluent crowd, which means you need yep. nice facilities, which means you need more money so you can charge yep. more rent. And you know that that that's how you get to the high end gym. And uh, yeah. that, that's a hard step to make if you don't start with something. And I, I understand the struggle you're going through. Yeah, I mean, like I, like I said, I started my gym literally with three months of rent. Uh, rent at my my first gym was $250 for 10 years. That's how much rent I was paying. And I had enough rent for three months. <laughs> so I started my MMA gym with, with $750, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I've been running it for 20 years. Uh, my new facility cost, you know, $550. And um, yeah, not everyone has that luxury. I mean, if I was in Toronto, I probably couldn't start my own MMA gym. You know, I think it was necessity. I, I wanted to keep on training. I wanted to keep on developing myself as a martial artist. And none of the local schools, like they didn't even know what Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was. I mean, I would meet people and I had one guy who come up to me and told me he was like a Judo black belt. You know, I'm, I'm second degree in Judo, but when I moved up here, I wasn't a black belt yet. And I asked him, like, name me a judo throw. Couldn't name me one. Name me who's your, who gave you a black belt. Couldn't name me who the instructor was. Name me a submission. Couldn't name it. You know what I mean? And that's that's what I had to deal with when I moved up to into this little town. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> do, you, do you think you face any discrimination because you're Asian? Or do you think it gets you more respect in this business? I think it's a double-edged sword. Um, when I first started, I literally one time I fought in uh, one of my guys fought a cage war, and I think it was this new kid. He didn't know that my fighter was like in the main main card or main event, and he was like making like racial kung fu sounds, you know, saying, "Oh, what are you gonna teach? You know, kung fu today, whatever." And I'm thinking like, you know, because I, I my we drove I think two hours to fight in Schenectady or whatever. This is like almost ten years ago. And I'm thinking, well, my fighter's the main event and I don't teach Kung Fu, right? So it's a double-edged sword, like, you know what I mean? When I first was coming onto the scene, people didn't know who, who I was. So I think they underestimated us. Like before Ivana fought Sean Felton, you probably never like seen, like I was never on your radar, right? You know what I mean? I, or when you studied. fought, when you fought, I like, I looked it up and I saw you and I watched how you coached. I'm like, oh man, he's got fucking Mr. Miyagi in his corner. We better look out, dude, because, um. <laughs> I was like, Felton, this guy's going to be for real. Like, I was watching your coach, too, you know what I mean? Like, I gave you – I married a Chinese uh, wife, so, like, from Hong Kong. And uh, okay. she's raised a traditional Chinese family. So I know, like – I know an Asian work <laughs> ethic, and I know how it goes, you know what I mean? And um, yeah. I was like, man, this guy's good. Like, and I watched – I watched your coach because you just had a couple clips on, on Facebook at the time, I think okay. it was. Maybe YouTube, okay. wherever I was uh, checking yeah. out Evander's stuff on. And I yeah. saw you, and then I, I interacted with you – before at the weigh-ins or maybe not the weigh-ins maybe pre-fight and then because i called those fights so i was like okay. man felton you you got a tough this is going to be a tough fight you know and felton yeah. was going up a little bit weight too and uh yeah. like it was a it was a really tough fight for him and i was like i gave you instant respect because you're asian i just wondered like if other people did or if it was like harder for you because of that because yeah, sometimes it's a, people it's underestimate you yeah i think a double-edged sword i mean on one hand people 
So what happened is people, I don't want to sound mean, but a lot of us, we have superficial knowledge and then we, we run with that superficial knowledge, right? So until you, until you're confronted with that superficial knowledge, you think the knowledge that you have is like really good. Like, let's just say you never fixed a car before and you watch all these Hollywood movies of like, you know, like the Fast and Furious, all of a sudden you think you know about cars, right? And so a lot of people assume things about me and I just let it go. You know, I don't really care. Like, you know what I mean? It's a double-edged sword, but it does prevent me from certain doors are closed to me and certain doors are open to me, you know what I mean? And it's a double-edged sword and I'm not gonna like, as long as it's not too blatantly racist or uh, like, you know what I mean? Or completely like dissing me, you know, as you get older, you, you pick and choose your battle. And um, some Sioux teachers, you never engage in a war unless you can win, you know what I mean? And, and, and if you engage in a war and you don't have the resources to win, don't even bother, it's a waste of time. You know what I mean? And so you constantly have to assess that, you know? So I play off that sometime, you know, like that's why in my YouTube channel, I write about, I, I, you know, people can call me coach, but I, um, a, a few of my students and a few of the karate gym I visit, they, they refer to me as sensei. So I keep that traditional, uh, you know, nomenclature, that title, you know what I mean? So that helps me stand out of the MMA community a little bit. And you know what I mean, and you know, and, the, and my Asian approach and stuff. So I play with that because you have to, you have to stand yourself from the crowd. You know what I mean? Like I have no tattoos. When you see me in the back room on this little Asian guy, I, I look like I don't belong there. You, you know what I mean? The, with, the, with the Rex packs. <laughs> the, the what? With the Rex back glasses, the the glasses yes. holding mints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to wear that because I'm blind in one eye, right? And I'm yeah. nearsighted. And one time. Evander, um, um, I was I was knocked out, and for like thirty minutes, I was repeating the same thing over and over again. And the doctor warned me, one of these days, you're gonna get hit and you're gonna turn blind. And so I had to be very careful. I had to wear like the you know the goggles and stuff. And sometime, uh, Evander was going so fast that I have to wear this red headgear because I can't afford to get knocked out, or because when like I can go blind because I only have one eye. You know what I mean? And so yeah, yeah. So that's kind of like, you know, there's certain things that stands me out and I play with that a little bit. You have to, I think, you know what I mean? Or else you just have to, I think you have to kind of brand yourself, you know what I mean? Because if you don't, then you're just like everybody else, you know what I mean? So, yeah. So if you guys are watching at home or you're listening, we uh, I'm scrolling across his YouTube channel. It's www.youtube.com backslash at Mongfu, uh, P-H-U. Uh, Mong is spelled M-O-N-G, so M-O-N-G-P-H-U, and that'll take you to his YouTube channel. Make sure you like and subscribe, and I see you watching on my YouTube channel, so you better like and subscribe, too. Make sure you click the bell. Thank you. I'll also post it in the comments, so if you guys are watching in the comments, then you can just click on it, and it's a lot easier than trying to type all that in. So <laughs> it's in the comments, so wherever you're watching it, you can just click on the comments at uh, 3913. And you will be uh, connected to his channel. And you can just click on it and then like and subscribe. I like and subscribe today. I, I've been watching your stuff, but I never liked and subscribe. I did now. So uh, thank you. Thank you. I yeah, mean, no I have I have a crap load of videos. I put way too much videos up. But I feel like when you're in a small town, you kind of have to advertise yourself. And for me, I knew that eventually I would either have to shut down my gym and open in a bigger facility or parlay what I've been doing, you know what I mean? And that's why I kind of document everything I do and, you know, I kind of articulate and, you know what I mean? And my wife thinks 
I blab too much, I talk too much, but I, I kind of have to, you know what I mean? Because I can't just teach to six people. I want to teach, I want, I want my passion to, you know, resonate with more people. And the only way to do that is to get online, you know what I mean? And and hopefully I, I stay humble because sometimes you, you go online, people think you're not humble and stuff. And sometimes you're so passionate that people think you're bragging and stuff, you, you know what I mean? But that's life, you know. You, you, you have to get, to get noticed. And um, hopefully I can help you get noticed a little bit. We'll probably get like six, seven hundred views by the time this is done on YouTube or on uh, Facebook and then whatever we get on YouTube as well. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your YouTube channel as well. Uh, it's like sure. you've been posting about it. It's phenomenally grown in the last little bit. Uh, can you tell me what, what you're doing and what your strategy is for uh, sure. growing your YouTube channel and, and the content you're producing? Sure. So uh, for the longest time, you know how you think you're doing something right and all along you've been doing it wrong, right? And worse yet, you have a blinder on, right? And that goes like... I see that a lot with traditional martial art. And so what happened was, uh, I, I want to be honest, for three months now, I have not taught, I have not trained any adults. So I miss grappling, I miss training. Uh, I miss grappling the most. I, I miss the, the flow state. And I just devoted all my energy and time learning how to grow a YouTube channel. And I look back on, on my YouTube videos and they're all crap. I realized that they suck so bad. And I think when you have that paradigm shift and you realize, shit, I've been doing it all wrong, like, don't be hard on yourself. Just realize that you've been doing it wrong. Then the growth just happens really fast, right? And so I have this whole mental checklist of all the crap I have to do, and I still can't do it because it's just so much. But I'm implementing them, and it's just crazy. Like, my growth, like, probably by end of April, I'll get monetized, which is not a big deal. I might not gonna, I'm not going to make a lot of money, but it's a milestone for me. You know what I mean? Because when you get monetized, you open up more, more venue, like, more opportunities. You know what I mean? And it's like a... It's like a little milestone, you know what I mean? And I think a lot of times, like for me, I post all these videos, right? But I never edit them. I don't create the right thumbnail. I don't check to see if they're trending. I don't see if what people are, if people want to even watch these videos. You know, I just assume, oh, they want to watch me hold the pads. They want to watch me coach somebody. They don't, you know what I mean? And I learned now to do my research correctly. You know what I mean? So now I'm going to reverse engineer everything. And I think the fact that I'm not, I haven't been coaching adults for three months now, I'm able to shift my focus. You know what I mean? And uh, for every, uh, like, I don't want to sound mean, but there, there are YouTube martial into, uh, influencer out there. Their video, their martial techniques suck. Their insights suck. But they're making crap load of money because they figure out the YouTube game. So they're like black belt in YouTube. That white belt in martial art. And I feel like I can, I can, if they can figure it out, I can figure it out. Right. And I just, sorry for getting so, uh, like Miyagi, but Miyamoto Masashi teaches from one thing, many things. And what he means is that if you understand strategy or understand how to learn or understand how to fight, you take that insight and you can apply it to other things. If I can train, if I can train my guys to fight against gyms with hundreds of students, I think I'm going to be smart enough to figure out how to grow my YouTube channel. Like, you get what I'm saying? So all those martial instructors out there who are black belt Brazilian jiu-jitsu or whatever, you can figure it out too. You know, it's not that hard. It's hard, but it's not that hard. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Um, for people to understand, like, uh, I know you're talking about, like, how important a thumbnail is and, uh, like, the tagline. So you get the click through, click through the rate and how it feeds into the algorithm. And, like, I've been looking into all that stuff too. Uh, what do you think about yeah. shorts? Do you think you, you're going to do more shorts 
to add to your okay. YouTuber base? Yes. So for all the aspiring, I think all MMA fighters should get on YouTube. Okay, because you learn to articulate yourself. So this is something I was trying to teach Evander. Evander understood it, but I was trying to teach Darnell. You have to learn to brand yourself. You have to get comfortable in front of a camera. You have to get comfortable doing interviews. You have to get comfortable selling yourself. Okay, your martial career is going to be very short, 10 years, and you have to parlay that. Okay, learn to parlay that as quick as you can. Learn to get comfortable in front of a camera. Okay, uh, the fact that my uh, my camera is $300. And it could, and I've made so much money using it. Anyone can do it, and definitely do shorts because YouTube launched short maybe three years ago to compete against TikTok. So YouTube will prioritize shorts over long video. And so there's two strategies. What I do now is I create long short long long form videos, and then I find little highlight videos from the long form video into shorts, and then I try to get people to watch my long form. You know what I mean? And so. Uh, and sometimes you're so busy, just create a short video. Like, you know what I mean? Because creating long form takes forever, you know? So uh, shorts is a totally worth your time. Like it might take you to 15 minutes to shoot a six second short, but the amount of uh, opportunities that might arise from it is so powerful. And um, not to go too crazy, but the ability to articulate your vision or what you do is very powerful. You know, I always believe that. Like, I'm not a writer, like for whatever reason, I just can't write, but I can explain things, right? And so you need to be able to articulate through either art, video, cinematography, you know, film, writing, music. And if you can articulate that, it makes you more powerful because it makes you more tangible. You know what I mean? Things that in your head are just fuzzy, I call it fuzzy thoughts. And until you can put it out there to other people, it's not solid. It's just, it's just stupid ideas. It's not solid. You know what I mean? Sorry for getting so philosophical. No, dude, I, I really like this because you're really talking about the things that, you know, like the people are listening really want to hear about. Um, I've been trying to grow my channel. Uh, I've been using shorts. So I've just been putting up random shorts, sometimes at the gym, sometimes uh, other stuff. And I've grown my YouTube base like 200 members in the last uh, two months or so. And yep. uh, like, it really helps get the hours up too. I'm very close to the 4,000 hours, but uh, that's, I'm way short on subscribers. Yep, yep, that's awesome. My subscriber, I've been on YouTube since 2006 or something. Mm -hmm. And I have the subscriber base. I just don't have, I probably will hit the number base, like the 3,000 probably end of April, you know? But okay, I'm gonna sound sexist, okay? But for all the female fighters out there, Get on YouTube, learn to brand yourself, okay? Uh, MMA as a sport is heavily geared toward men. And if you can brand yourself, you have an edge already. You know what I mean? And I've been trying to find female collaborators because that right away will give me that jump, right? And I, I can't find anyone because people don't understand that just having a female who do MMA or combat sport already gives you an edge if you can brand yourself you know what i mean so anyways i, I, just I, agree, something with, I agree with that 100 especially if they're pretty there's so much space on youtube for like pretty girls like and it'll get you it'll get you noticed you know it, it yeah, doesn't even yeah. matter if you're um like good or not like you get out there you get your name out and then people want to like see what you're doing and they'll follow you and you, you can sell tickets and really help yeah. yourself grow as a fighter even though like it's kind of selling your soul a little bit. And I understand why some women don't want to do that as well. 
Well, so here's the thing. I honestly believe that even if you document your journey, let's just say, let's just say you join an MMA gym and you say, hey, I want to do this for three months, and you just shoot videos of how you're doing it. Literally, you can become an influencer. You know what I mean? Provided that you are sincere and be authentic and put in the work. Like promise to put up one hour of good content a week. You know what I mean? And literally, you can outmaneuver myself and um, you know yourself. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to sound racist or sexist or whatever, but females, you guys have an edge over men. It's it's just that's the, that's the sad reality because social media caters to visual images. You know what I mean? And men are way wired visually. You know what I mean? And I, I want to sound really sexist here, but minimize the amount of tattoos. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's just getting to here's the here's the secret. Okay. If you are good MMA fighters and you look like the girl next door, you're gonna get so much endorsement deal. Imagine by the time you get to UFC and you're top 10, you don't even have to be top one. You will make more money than the top three girls in the UFC who looks like I don't want to sound, you know, whatever, right? You, you get what I'm saying? And I yeah. was trying to find that girl, that female to do that. And I just couldn't, you know what I mean? So anyways, I went off sidetrack there. <laughs> it's tough because so. you, you get a girl like that. And then uh, they're like difficult to train and keep with you because someone's going to offer them a lot of money and a better life to, to go away too, you know? Like that, then you run into the traditional uh, fighter student boxer story, you know, like, the bigger promoter comes and takes your student away. Like that's another thing they have to worry about too, as a, as a coach and especially dealing with female fighters. Cause there's a lot of bad people out there. It's hard to, uh, there's not too many coaches that really want to grow their fighters and not like get into their fighters pants. No offense. You know, like uh, it's definitely a problem in the community. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a double edged sword, you know what I mean? And that's something I, I was thinking about this a lot. Um, so, um, just so that some of your viewers probably know about this, but I was in a cult for five years. I was in a very religious Christian church group. Uh, they were on 2020 actually. And I was in it for five years. And when I got out, I figured out how to get myself out. And I learned a lot from it. And the cult of personality can happen in anywhere. It can happen in a school, in a martial arts school, in a religious setting, in a, at a workplace. And you see this pattern being played over and over and over again. And people always think cult has to be in a religious aspect. It's not. It can be in a martial arts setting. You know what I mean? So it's the cult of personality, charisma, authority figures. You know, you have that to a certain extent to present jiu-jitsu. Now, now we don't have it as much, but uh, you're a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? Yes, correct. So I started Brazilian jiu-jitsu back in... Um, 2000 right and at one time these present guys you know they they, they they demanded almost like the cult of personality that you know worship me and stuff and i saw through that you, you know what i mean and um no it's it's tough and as a female you got to be very careful of that and i want to say it's double-edged sword as a as a coach as a sensei we need to realize that we can fall into that trap we becomes we become a, what's that greek that you know we fall in love with our own idea we fall in love with who we are and then we think we're invincible we think we're god we think we're all this thing you know what i mean and we're not we're just somebody who knows how to fight we're just somebody who's very good at our hobbies it's, but somehow we demand all these respect from people like you know what i mean it's ridiculous i so. think with our sport at least it comes down to um you know like 
and and the way we developed it uh, into humans like in a day when you could protect yourself like that gave you the right to like run the cult you know like we'd be the alpha leaders and that i think that plays into personality personality a little bit too because i mean if you look at where the you know the, the great brazilians came out of far favela you know like poor places they were they came from undisciplined backgrounds you know and, and they got really good at the sport because they were not very well off and then you know when you go from nothing to something you feel you feel that even more and then you you know you got there by beating everybody you know so and i think that develops a little bit too and it's, that's a culture that jiu-jitsu came from like at least uh well, jiu-jitsu that i study yeah i mean i i came through that same lineage but the thing is it happens everywhere it happens to professors college professors whatever there's that idolation process where you know, when you become like the alpha, like, you know, in an educational setting or whatever setting, you have females who will gravitate to that. It's human nature. Females is always looking for that alpha because that alpha provides, you know, protection, uh, a source, uh, 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 resources, right? And and if you're not careful, you realize that it's like a, it's like a symbiotic relationship. You know what I mean? They feed into you, you feed into them. People don't know this, but a cult can be formed with just two person. That's it. You know, I mean, just two people. You can have a cult. You know, I mean, you feed into each other's. You know, I mean, and if you're not, if you don't understand that, you could create a cult. And what happens? Those two people will bring in other people because you feed into that ego, that that vicious cycle. You know, and so, anyways, I, I'm not diminishing what you're saying. I'm just saying, like, as coaches, we need to be very aware of that because we can fall into that trap, and it can destroy our life. It can destroy our family's life. And as a female, you have to be aware of that too. You know what I mean? It's just how mother nature wire us. It's just, you know what I mean? So. Yeah. I, sorry. No, I think we were saying the same thing in just different ways. Uh, I was yeah, agreeing yeah. basically what you're saying. I'm just saying it's more developed in like the fight sports because that's what, you know, like the personalities that are drawn to the fight sport are yes. those alpha dominating male personalities. You know, even if they're a female yes. student, a lot of times they still have that dominant like where they're trying to get to the top of the hierarchy ladder yes. personality yes. type. Yeah, and I'd like to point out, out something. Like, you know, I'm this little Asian guy, but ever since I did martial art, maybe after, when I was doing Muay Thai, I was not as confident yet. But when I started doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Judo, I felt more confident. And I think when you do MMA at a very high level, not just a dilettante, but someone who really, like you and myself, where we devoted our life, the way we carry ourselves is very different. And I think females who who really understand human nature can see that. They might see it on a conscious level or subconscious level. You, you know what I mean? And yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? And so martial art does bring positivity. Like, you know what I mean? Like you have, if you're this weakling or you're shy or you, you feel very meek and you do it right, it can give, it can create that, that extra boost. You know what I mean? And um, females gravitate toward that. So. Yeah. So that's a great sales pitch for taking martial arts, for sure. Uh, females will love you if you get really good at it. And if you're an integrity martial arts cult, make sure you send me lots of money and bring in your friends and we'll we grow start, the gym. We should start. We should start like a like a a course how to like become out. You know how uh, Andrew Tate. You yeah, know yeah. We should create a cult or like join our MMA gym so you can pick up all these girls. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know. So hey, I'm not above. I'm not above selling myself up to grow my gym. I don't have the high moral standards that you do, so I will. Uh, I will look listen, into listen, it further. Listen, I just don't want to. I just don't want to worry about 
like I, I nickel and dime everything. I'm so cheap, right? And I just, when I was working in Toronto, I managed six graphic designers. I was making good money, but I was lonely. And then I move up here. I'm not lonely, but then I don't have any money. You know what I mean? And so I'm just going to be happy if I don't have to worry about how much that, that dinner is. Or if I want a steak, I can buy it. And I haven't had that in almost 20 years. You know what I mean? And so when that day arrives for me, I'll be so happy. And it may never arrive. You know what I mean? So I don't need a lot of money. Like, you know? So, anyways. So, this question has been like in my mind. Sure. Like the whole time that we've uh, we've been talking, and uh, as I like talk with you more and more, this this like it, it arrives in my head. Why did you never move? Why did you stay in the area you're in? It seems like you have you like there's so much drive to be great, and you have you have real skill too. Um, yeah. Like I don't doubt the skill you have. Everything you're doing um, becomes successful. Like who would think that like sell buying books and reselling like that seems like the the worst way to make money of all time, and you're able to make money doing that. You know, like. I, I, I watched you do all that. I'm like, man, that's a stupid idea. How's he ever going to make money doing it? And, and you made it work. And uh, yeah. now your YouTube channel is growing. Your gym survived, even though you're you're running it your way, not the way that, like, to make money. And, yeah. like, why did you never move and, and give yourself a, a place where you had so much opportunity to grow? Okay, so I'm going to share something really personal. Um, my students know about this, but the general public may not. Um, I'm just going to be really sincere. Um, the people closest to me are not really supportive, you know what I mean? And when the people closest to you are not very supportive, you, you lack the confidence. And, and so you're, you're spinning in this little wheel, this little hamster wheel, and you know you're spinning yourself in a little hamster wheel, you know what I mean? So when I moved up here, it took me about six months before I got a job, so I lost all my saving. And I opened up an MMA gym because rent was only 250 you know what I mean? And and like I said, I, I'm going to shoot a video talking about this. I was so focused on learning the fight game. And, 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 and I, I didn't, I'm not making, I'm not putting blames. And then when, when I know, when Evander won his first belt, I was so happy because I said, finally, finally, I trained someone homegrown and he fought the way I trained him and he won. It, it means I can do it. But the people closest to me just thought it was just a fad. They thought it was a stupid hobby. And I just want to be honest, all the fighters out there, it's so important to find the person who live and breathe what you want. You know what I mean? Like people hate Conor McGregor, but I honestly believe that he's successful because he had that partner who, who like freaking stood by him when he was collecting welfare. You know what I mean? Living on, like sleeping probably on a on a mattress on the floor you know what i mean i'm not saying my wife is bad or anything of like that I, you know she, she's an awesome lady and stuff but it's that's how life works sometimes you know you can't have everything you know what i mean and if i was to do it again i will completely save my money rent a place that costs a thousand two thousand dollars a month but i just don't have that money you know what i mean i'm I, i've been so un, unlucky i can't find a job that allowed me to have extra money to find a place to rent, you know what I mean? So for 20 years, I opened an MMA gym because I have this craving to understand the fight game, not just technique, but on a psychological, physiological strategy level. And I feel like I've done it and I just can't do it anymore. I'm, I'm losing $800 a month, I'm, I have so much anxiety. Is, does that have, kind of answer your question? 
that that uh, answer my question why you're you're closing a gym like i i never i don't understand why you didn't so i know you don't have a lot of support but be like let's move one more time i i can do this like like you have so much confidence now i don't i just i, I, I just don't like have you, that money i just don't have you, the 800 i don't have a thousand dollars to put down on rent I, you know, I, I still move to a big I still, city like i feel like you could get an amazing job i feel like you could be you could do anything anywhere like you'd be a great designer you you, you know, like, I feel like you just have so much talent that you're not really so using. I've been applying to jobs and I go for job interview every two weeks and it's maybe a two round interview. And these jobs are like 55 to 70,000. And, and I, I, I don't know, um, I'm so close to getting that job. And I just, I'm like, a, I'm like, a. I'm like a like a square peg in a round hole. It just won't fit, you know what I mean? And I feel like just give me a chance. Like, you know what I mean? Like when I was in Toronto, I did so much for my company because they took a chance on me. Um, I was very lucky. I was I happened to be a fashion designer who understood graphic design. So imagine someone who understands how to design clothes, how to draft patterns, and who knows how to use Adobe Photoshop, Adobe Illustrator, Quirk Express, you know? And I came in at the right time. You know, and now I have all these understanding of human nature, fighting, graphic design, social media. And people are like, well, you know, you're this weird guy who does this and this, you're too entrepreneurial. I have one um, HR person saying, well, we, we're worried you might get bored. You're like this super creative, ambitious guy. I'm like, I'm 52 years old. I just need a freaking job. My daughter's going to college. I need to support my family. Like, you know what I mean? Um, no, right now I work at a job where I'm a janitor. Like I mop, I clean a store all night long, you know, and I, I, I don't want to have, I don't want to feel like people should feel bad about me, but I, I go from like having my own office to now mopping floors and cleaning bathroom six hours, seven hours a night. You know what I mean? And it's kind of weird. It's like your typical Kung Fu movie, you know, Jackie Chan, a janitor, like, you know what I mean? You know, you see all these Kung Fu movies. And the funny thing is your wife's from Hong Kong. The funny things in the Asian culture, they look down on martial artists. You know, in Kung Fu Hustle, the, in the movie, uh, Stephen Chow had to regroup all his students. The master, all, some of his students were poor. You know what I mean? In the Asian tradition, martial art is a bad, bad occupation. It's the same thing and for fighters and boxers too. Like. You always see yeah. like the the old coach that that trained everybody had ends up broken with nothing, you know. Like yeah. that's yeah. that's the root of coaching. So like yeah. you what's, need what's to... that movie, uh, Clint Eastwood um, that he did with the boxer? Million dollar uh, million dollar baby. Yeah, yeah, but you saw that where the the guy who's cleaning, you know, he had he had um punch, punch drunk. You, you yeah. know what I mean? And people don't understand the fight game. You know, you have you have fighters who are broken down, and you have coaches who are broken down. The boxing gym that Darnell trains out of is not open to the public. He the boxing gym, the boxing coach has a nice facility in the back of his house. Uh, if you have a chance, watch uh, Extreme Makeover. They actually came into town and built him a gym and everything, and that's how he's able to keep his boxing gym going, right? And he's it's not open to the public. He only trains three, four guys, and that's it. And he, he does it out of his own pocket, you know? And so it's really weird. Some of the best coaches, we live and breathe this, and we're barely scraping by. It's, it's, it's crazy, you know? So I mean? my, my first professor, uh, Charles Anzalone, um, yeah. from Buffalo BJJ, he, uh, 
he was he roomed with Carson Gracie like when he was learning jiu-jitsu because he, he was Carson's translator and uh, he said Carson didn't have any money when he died either you know like yeah. like the greatest coaches in the world like can end up broke and broken down so like it's important to to feed you because I feel like the personalities that are the best coaches are givers and uh, yeah. it's really yeah. easy to have low self-esteem and that's what gets you in martial arts in the first place and you yeah. overgive. So you have nothing yep. left for yourself and you're giving it all to your students. So uh, yep. I want to make sure that you're not falling into that trap as well. You know, I'm glad that I'm sad that you're closing a gym, but I'm glad you're taking care of yourself. And I think if you build yourself up, you'll be able to generate some really high level fighters. And I would almost always be happy to have you in my gym. Anytime I can afford to bring you in, I would love to. No, no I appreciate that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't want to sound boastful, but I feel enlightened. I felt like 20 years of my life, living and breathing this you know 30 hours just thinking about martial art you know i've been training martial for 30 years now and i feel like you know what i have to shut down this gym 800 dollars is a lot of money not to have like i owe almost a thousand dollars electric bill i owe the month of february rent the landlord was really upset with me because during COVID, i didn't pay any of my rent and i offered to split the rent up and give him an extra hundred dollars every month and he didn't go for it and so he, after a couple of months, he got upset with me and he just wiped it away. He goes, listen, I'm just going to clear it out. I think it's a tax write-off for him, but I felt really bad about it, the way he talked to me and stuff. But that's life, you know what I mean? And um, I feel like if I was to do it again, I'm going to do it so much different. And I honestly believe that if I had access to the, to the same talent pool, let's just say I have access to 50 students, you will see my gym just blowing up like just you'll see my fighters fighting everywhere like you see, I, I don't mean to break but you see how what i could do with darnell in two years what i could do with evander in like two years what i did with rob you know what i mean page you know what i mean and um you know sometimes that's how life works and you can get resentful you know and i i do have that sometimes but at the same time i feel like wow you know it's life you know what i mean and I learned a lot from it. I, I see how things work sometimes. Uh, I came into martial art at a different time. I came into martial art when we were watching VHS tape. Remember, we got we pirated VHS tape. There was no YouTube videos. You know what I mean? We would go and drive six hours for a BJJ seminar just to learn how to do an arm bar. Me and you went, we, me and you went through all that. You know what I mean? We had to figure out how to do Muay Thai clinch into judo throw into fighting on the ground. Now you have BJJ Jim who can't do any of that, you know, and they think they're a badass, you know what I mean? And then it's just, it's weird. Like, I don't mean to brag. It's just, I'm very grateful for the experience I have. But at the same time, I feel like if I wasn't, if I'm not, I just don't like the fact I don't have money, you know, but life can, life provides riches and other things too. You know, I have all these great memories and I had, like, you know, you talk highly about Evander and stuff. I would never dream that I can train someone like Evander, someone like Darnell. What's the chance of a athletic black kid coming up to me and saying, hey, train me? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, never. Like, you know? For sure. So I was very lucky. I was, not, I was in a small town, and he lived 30 minutes from me. <laughs> like, you know? So. I do remember, like, when I started training jiu-jitsu, I would drive. I was a, a white belt. I was 1995 or 96 drive to rochester to kyle saunders uh an hour and 35 minutes you train for an hour you learn like one mountain escape and you drill it for an hour you wouldn't even get yeah. to spar because you weren't one of his students and then you drive yeah. home like that's how like training was for us and then we yeah. steal uh like we steal uh 
like we record over a, a Panther video video of like uh, Mario Sperry, and we like yep. push everything out of the living room and we drill like that. Yep. Like people understand, man. Watch UFC, oh you just watch the tape over and over again. Like, oh, I think he did it like this, and then you figure out yep. how to do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Tough I, times I, that we came up in. I would do judo, and then I would fall asleep watching Roy Harris instructional on VHS tape. Like it was. I don't want to make fun of the guy, but he's so freaking boring. And I would like do judo class, and then I would take the subway home. It would like be a 45 minute subway ride. This is in Toronto, and I would, uh, I was staying with my uncle, and I would eat my Chinese food, and I would play the VHS tape, and I would fall asleep with my with the Chinese food in front of my coffee table, <laughs> with Roy Harris playing in the background. You know what I mean? And you know, I think I retained some stuff because it's subconscious, but people don't understand the price we paid. You know what I mean? And and now these kids are so good because the information's out there. Right. You know what I mean? But we we paved the way. Like, you know, what I mean, it's all about timing. You know, what I mean, like like what Darnell Evander learned, they learned it in two years and it took us forever to figure it out. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you know, what I mean, for me so, personally, like my day starts at like my work day starts at seven in the morning. I get there at work and then I, I work till, you know, four thirty five o'clock. I go to my gym. I'm there till like ten thirty and clean up. Yeah. You know, you're tired when you clean up, you stop and get food on the way home. It's like midnight when you get home. And then, like, I pop in John Donaher and I fall asleep to watching John Donaher. And that's like, well, I go to bed too, you know. And that's that's the life that we live for, like, yeah. every day, six day, uh, five days a week, and then training in the gym all weekend too, you know. Like, and that's I I would do that all the time. I just wish uh, I'm trying to get my gym to a place where I can just do that and not have the the eight hour days, you know, like I work nine hour days, ten hour days, get rid of that, and then it doesn't seem unmanageable. Yep, yep. I mean, before COVID, I thought I finally did it. Like I went from working full time to four days a week to three days a week to transitioning to running my gym. And so my source of income was running my MMA gym at night, doing private lesson, offering kickboxing, and then doing eBay in the day. And I finally made it. I was so happy. I, I wasn't making a lot of money, maybe 2000 3000 a month. My best month was 4000 But I was so happy. I got to do what I love. You know what I mean? And I think, uh, uh, one guy wrote it best. He said, guys like you and me, we want autonomy. We want to come and go whenever we feel like it. We want to sit down and watch a video whenever we feel like it. And I felt like I arrived. But unfortunately, my business wasn't mature enough, right? And then when COVID came, it kind of screwed everything up and I needed a source of income and I had a chance to get 10,000 books for next to nothing. You know what I mean? And my best month, I sold $7,000 worth of books. But now I'm stuck with like 8,000 books at my gym. You know what I mean? And on top of that, only a few students came back. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's just very unfortunate. You know what I mean? And I don't want to like, I don't, I don't want to get like too philosophical, but I'm a former Vietnamese refugee, right? And um, I lived on a refugee camp for two years. I lived on a refugee island for three months. So I know what it's like to have nothing. So it doesn't phase me. Like I, I can live on nothing. It, it's not a good feeling. It makes me sad sometimes. But when you lived on nothing before, it's not that bad. Like you, you get what I'm saying. And I mean, at nighttime, I, I, you know, I clean toilets. I'm, I'm working with high school dropouts. You know, they talk down to me, whatever bullshit. But I just keep my mouth shut. Sometimes I feel bad. But I've been, I've been in worse situation. You, you know what I mean? The only thing I wish is I still, I, I wish I still have an MMA gym because I miss the camaraderie. I miss the grappling. You know what I mean? Because right now I only train two kids, and when those two kids quit, that's it. Uh, uh, you know, I'm and it's done. Like you know, what I mean, and I'm giving myself two months to try to move everything out, and whatever I don't move out, I might stick in a storage unit somewhere. You know, what I mean, and 
I feel bad. I, I feel like I, I don't mean I'm, I don't want to make it in a therapy session, but you're, the, you're one of the first people to reach out to me and didn't really judge me. You know, what I mean, and it was very sincere. You know, what I mean, and I have these young people messaging me, questioning my work ethic or questioning. Like if I didn't work hard enough or questioning if I was intelligent enough, it's like, you know, like it's weird. You know, you know what I mean? It's like I did everything I could, you know, so. Uh, yeah. I, I definitely understand, man. Anyone that, that questions, like, the grind that uh, you put in when you have your own business, you're, like, trying to open your own business while you're working full-time, you know, like, yeah. I, I get you, dude. Like, 100-hour weeks are tough. Um, yeah. I, I don't – I want to go into one more thing, and then I don't want to try and leave on a happier note. Um, sure. I just want to, like, how does all this working affect your social and home life? Um, I know how much it affects my home life and my social life, so I would like to uh, – like delve into that topic with you a little bit as well. Yeah. Um, so I think a couple months ago, the number one epidemic in America is loneliness. And I think that's my biggest, biggest struggle. Um, and I think for people like myself, I, 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 I don't, when I say things, I feel like I'm bragging, but I'm very ambitious. I'm very creative. I'm very driven. And it's very hard to find kinder spirit like that. You know what I mean? And uh, I miss that. And, um, you know, I, I was very lucky I had that with Evander. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it's not good. It's not good. I mean, if, if I was to do it again, I'd probably do it differently. But then I feel like Mother Nature biologically. So this is, I have all these weird ideas about how the world works. And I feel like Mother Nature create things on a bell curve, right? And so like, 76 uh 70 or 80 percent of the of the species or like everybody else and then you have 10 percent that are complete retard destructive and then you have 10 percent that's super go-getting try new things innovative does things that the 80 percent think is stupid and retarded and mother nature sometimes curse you right and i feel like mother nature cursed me i'm always trying to think about things always trying to innovate create things learn things and that's my personality since i was a kid and it's hard to change that. And, um, you know, I, I just wish I resonate with someone who, who understood that. But at the same time, it's a curse, you know what I mean? So I don't want to sound mean, but like guys like Elon Musk, I, I bet you he's very lonely sometimes. You know I mean? He's yeah. in his own I, yeah. I listen to a lot of podcasts with him, and he does say that. He said, you wouldn't want to be in my head. You know, yep. like he, he definitely feels that because I'm sure he, he's been divorced like I don't know, a bunch of times too, you know what I mean? He's... He's unlucky because he, he ended up financially well, but uh, socially and like uh, uh, like emotionally, he's he's pretty alone. It, it sounds like you're in a pretty similar spot to you to that. Yeah, it's it's unfortunately it is. I I don't want to like throw anyone under the bridge, but it, it is what it is. You know what I mean? And you kind of learn to accept that. You know what I mean? Um, with Elon Musk, I might shoot a video talking about him. I think you know all his significant others, in a way, is a, a validation of where he's at until he can come into term to who he is as a human being. He's always going to date supermodels and musicians and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Sometimes you go after things to validate who you are until you accept who you are. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not second guessing his, like, like his choice of spouses and stuff. I'm just saying, you know, when we're close to that species, we kind of understand how their mind operate. You know what I mean? And I see, how Elon Musk kind of operate and like choosing his significant partners and stuff. You, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, no, it's I, I don't want to make it like a pity party, but 
I'm sure there's a lot of guys out there just like me. You know what I mean? Um, not they may be doing something else. They may be filmmakers. They may be entrepreneurs. They may be stockbrokers. You know what I mean? And it's an epidemic out there. You know what I mean? It's it's a huge huge problem. Um, you know, especially when you get older. You know what I mean? Um, you know, and especially when you get older and you don't have the financial resources. You know, you feel like a total loser. <laughs> like you know what I mean? And I'm I'm very I'm very lucky. I have a family. I have a daughter who's gonna go to college and stuff. You know what I mean? But imagine if I didn't, I didn't have that. It would, it would be like so sad. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I, I just want to segue a little bit. So I lived in Toronto for over 10 years. And the worst, if you want to feel really bad, ride the subway on Christmas Eve. Okay. And you will see broken down men who have nowhere to go. Right. And that is heartbreaking. And I think that's the number one epidemic in America. It's, it's loneliness and um, it's, it's gonna get worse because we are on a very superficial interaction level, very superficial. We will get, it's like cut by, uh, it's like cut by a thousand, uh, not hurt by, uh, what is it, cut by a thousand cut or whatever it's called. Just so by a thousand wounds, yeah. Exactly, so we may interact with 10 people for one minute at a time. So they're all superficial level. And they're not meaningful at all, not meaningful at all, right? And and so every time we interact with someone, we give a little bit of ourselves. That person's giving a little bit of themselves, and none of it is fulfilling. None of it, you know what I mean? And I I think in a way I'm good. I'm addressing this because I'm probably just probably tons of guys out there who goes through the same shit I'm going through. You know what I mean? And you have to minimize your interaction, and um and it's hard to do that. You know what I mean? Like. Um, I got tons of Facebook requests, friends, people just guys requesting me, asking me questions and stuff. And I don't accept any friend requests unless I know them or I, I look at their profile and stuff because I got to minimize my interaction. You know what I mean? And um, but I, I think I think so. I, I don't want to go on this crazy tangent, but I might shoot videos about it. But that's a huge epidemic. And I feel I feel also in the MMA community because it's such a masculine sport. I think a lot of MMA fighters have to understand that because you're dealing with testosterone and you get this natural high, okay? And then it will drop. And when it drops, you're gonna look for somebody to fulfill that loneliness and you might pick the wrong person. Sorry, I'm just going on a tangent. <laughs> so. I, I definitely, everything you talk about is all problems that I see in the community as well. Um, I, you know, one of the reasons I started this podcast is uh, first of all, I started to give fighters a voice. I want, like, I thought, man, man, if I could just do something, the amateur fighters could talk. And uh, like, I like to talk a lot, so it was great to have them on the thing, and that was kind of a platform for them. And then yeah. I started doing it, and I was like, man, like people actually listen to what I say, so I should yeah. probably be a little bit more careful what I say. I shouldn't talk so much junk. So I started, <laughs> you know, like to to understand that I, what I say is on here, like yeah. goes out to everyone, and, and people don't always understand that it's a joke. So I, yeah. I have to be careful. And when I joke, I try and laugh. And when I don't, like, ah, every now and then I say, I'm sorry, that was a joke. You know, like, I do what I can do. Uh, they still got to be entertaining and funny. And then yeah. I started, uh, in the last couple of years, I realized, like, I should be the voice of the community and, uh, yeah. like, try and talk about problems and, like, bring out people that are having problems and, and talk to people in the community that seem to get left behind. And uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is, like, I follow you on Facebook. I follow you on Instagram. I see all the stuff you write. And I just wanted to make sure that you had an opportunity to be heard by as many people as I could get the word out to. And, well, uh, I, I, yeah, I really appreciate it. Cause when you reached out to me, 
I was really flattered, but at the same time, I felt kind of undeserving. But at the same time, I felt like, you know what? I need to grow my channel. I need to like, you know, like you have to be selfish sometimes. And um, Dr. Jordan Peterson talk about this and Zen teach this. How you think about your future self affect your present self. And how you look at your present self affect your future self. You know what I mean? So it's this, this duality, right? And so in a way you have to be selfish, that way you can achieve your goal. You know what I mean? And and the problem sometimes is people who are go-getters sometimes or people who have a very ambitious dream, your friend or your closest people will say you're selfish or you're egotistic or blah, 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 right? But it's like what Mother Nature did. You know, you happen to be that 10%, the outlier. And how Mother Nature keep that species alive is Mother Nature have to spread the seed and give 10% of, uh, of it to be outliers so that the species can innovate and move along and and maybe survive in a different environment when the environment change, you know what I mean? So it's tough, like in the MMA community, we're all as, like fighters, we're all trying to be superstars and it's so hard to be a superstar. It's so hard, you know what I mean? And and um, you, you're gonna have naysayers, you're gonna have vampires, you're gonna have cheerleaders. Those are, those are things I coined, you know, cheerleaders and vampires, <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Anyways, uh, I can go into details about that, but I, this is your show, and I, you know, I want to let you kind of guide me. So yeah, dude, I, I love everything you've been saying. Um, I, we're at twelve thirty now. Uh, we'll probably get out here in a second. I just wanted to um, make sure that everyone got opportunity to to meet you, like I was saying, and uh, like it's been an honor to talk with you. I had my um, wrestling hero on Mark Schultz. He was the Olympian and his brother was shot by John DuPont. That was the last person I had. And uh, it was the first time I ever interviewed anyone that like, I, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I got this guy. I mean, we had, we had guys on Joe Rogan podcast. We had like, uh, you know, you know, leaders in, in the uh, martial arts community, like Dan Severn and like a bunch of guys that fought in the UFC, Pat Max, you know, Bellator champ, like, but this is the first guy that was like my hero growing up. And, uh, and then now I got you a guy that I've been watching on uh, Facebook. I'm really interested to to talk with, you know, and like, I just feel blessed to have this podcast and man, I'm, I'm glad I finally got a chance to sit down and talk with you. Like I I wanted to make sure that like all those years ago, I wrote that you're like Mr. Miyagi and take that offensively. Like I've been saying that every time one of your guys fights too. Uh, I don't even know. You yeah. probably don't even see, I, I write about your guys when they fight sometimes for FCP. And like, I wrote, yeah. I write about the local community quite a bit on uh, K-Man's Corner. Uh, now they've been working yeah. on K four. I write less about other promotions, obviously, because they, they pay me yeah. to write. So I'm going to write more about like their guys. But um, yeah, it's been an honor to talk with you. It's been an honor to share this podcast with you. And thank you for making me a little bit better, man. I appreciate the knowledge you dropped on me tonight. No, the honor is mine. Uh, I appreciate it. It's, I, I just feel like it's. I feel very grateful. You know what I mean? Because uh, I I I just took two minutes. A, a lot of times you do things. And you don't even know if you're doing, you don't even know if you're on the right path. Like you're just doing your own thing and you second guess yourself, you question yourself. And especially when you don't have like uh, metrics, like, like mile markers, you know, you're driving down the highway, you don't know how far you've been driving. And for me, for some people, the, uh, the metric is money. Like, you know, like, oh, this month I got a thousand dollars, this month I can buy this, this month. And for me, I don't have those type of metrics, you know what I mean? And so, a lot of times, I, I I wouldn't say I second guess I second guess myself a lot, but I'm also very stubborn, and it's it's so I, I don't you don't understand that stuff that goes through my mind, you know. And once in a while, I, I get a lifeline, you know. And, um, I got a lifeline a couple of years ago with Darnell walking to my gym. I I wasn't training anyone, and Darnell gave me this lifeline, and for two years, you know, he fought for me. 
uh, Evander was a lifeline. Uh, tonight, for example, this podcast with you is a lifeline because for three months, I haven't trained anyone. I just kind of trained two kids. I miss grappling so much and I pivoted and I wasn't sure if I was doing the right thing. And, and you know, I appreciate you reaching out to me because I, I like, you, you know what I mean? You feel like a freaking loser sometimes. And, and um, you know, I appreciate it so much, you know. Let, let's so. stay in touch. I would like to, uh, I'd like to have you out at Integrity and maybe we could do a seminar or something. I, I just have a, like a small thousand foot square gym, um, but no, I would love to have you out. And um, no. Yeah, don't worry about giving me any money. Just buy me lunch and pay for my gas. You know what I mean? Like, I'll, I'll do that, and I'll, I'll get you money too. And I'll uh, like, I'll uh, I'll open it up. I'll make it like a seminar, and then anything I make over what it costs me, I'll split it with you. I'll give you half and half because like you deserve like as much money as I can get you, Doc. I appreciate your generosity. I feel so undeserving. You know what I mean? Like you know, I just I'll do whatever. You know what I mean? Like I I I feel so undeserving. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I'm, I'm you know, but I really appreciate you reaching out to me. That like it's so funny like. My fighters fought your fighters 13 years ago, but we never actually talk more than 30 seconds. Like, it's yeah. crazy. I mean, and I, I really appreciate you reaching out to me. And I, I feel like more MMA coach should reach out to each other. You, you know what I mean? Because it's such a rough business. And the amount of emotional and whatever damage we get, it's it's a silent. Uh, sorry, there was a really good MMA coach. He killed himself. Uh, Fowler or whatever his name is, you know, th those are just examples, you know, what I mean, one day they're training fighters, next day they're killing themselves, you know, what I mean, it's just, it's it's really, it's crazy out there, you know, anyways. Ray, Ray Arias, uh, my co-host who's uh, working right now, he said, I can help with gas, we're, we're, we're <laughs> going to get you out, let's get you out uh, next month, uh, maybe the week after K4, so maybe, maybe I could bring you out for K4, you could do a seminar at my gym on Saturday, I'll get you to, uh, like a VIP seat for K4. Oh and, man, um, that would be so awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy it for you. And uh, for everyone watching, if you're going to come to K4 March 16th, if you put in promo code K4K Man's Corner, we're going to uh, get that ticket money for our podcast. And then, you know, we, we give away Fight of the Night bonuses from K Man's Corner and K4 Fighters. So I, out of my own pocket, I give away $100 each to the Fight of the Night for both participants. Hundred dollars for submission tonight, hundred dollars for KO of the night, and then uh, we have fan support, so we got an extra two hundred dollars and gave away two performance tonight bonuses as well. So, um, like we're trying That's to do awesome. big things with K Man's Corner, and if you buy tickets from us, I promise a hundred percent of it will go back to the fighters in some sort of a bonus. That's awesome. And then, All right, uh, so I'm gonna do some. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna do a couple minutes of selling real quick. Uh, make sure uh, you can go to www.youtube.com backslash at Mongfu, uh, M-O-N-G-P-H-U. That'll take you can to his I, YouTube channel. Like and subscribe. Can I add one more thing? Uh, find sure. me on Instagram. It's super easy. It's Z-Rebel. It's Z-E-E-R-E-B-E-L. That's that's where I post a lot of my stuff too. So find me on Instagram, Z-E-E-R-E-B-E-L. Also, like and subscribe K-Man's Corner on Facebook and on YouTube. And if you go to this uh Blurb I just put up here, uh, www.youtube.com backslash watch question mark v equals e. Just click on the link. Don't don't listen to all this. It's me. Fourth uh, of July. I have seven local gyms come in. I offer everybody uh, up to three hundred dollars for tap me out. Uh, all the money went to uh, Warriors Next Adventure, and we're gonna be doing that again 
this 4th of July, so make sure you come out for that, guys. Thank you to Integrity Martial Arts for supporting this podcast. Thank you, Fusion Martial Arts, for coming on and supporting this podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Anything you got to sell now, I sold all my stuff. No, thank you so much for everyone tuning in. And if you haven't tuned in, hopefully you find time to watch this video. I really appreciate your generosity, your time, you reaching out to me. I, I feel so undeserving, and I really appreciate it. So. Stop making this guy feel undeserved. Let's send him some money. Let's hook up mom. When we have a seminar next month on integrity, come on out. Everything we raise past what we pay him, we're giving him half of it. And with that, we're out of here, guys. Peace. Have a good night.